A couple other quick notes. Um, first, a week from Saturday, we have our St. Paddy's Day extravaganza, which uh, is a wonderful event. We got, we're gonna have Irish dancers, gonna have some great music and corned beef and cabbage, lots of fun. It's free, it starts at 5.30, I think it's in the bulletin, um, 5.30, um, and there's information if you'd like to help with it, but also we just want you to come on down and be a part of it. Uh, one last word, and that is that um, we, uh, some of you had your photos taken for our new photo directory before Christmas, so we're getting back at that work now. So starting next Sunday for several Sundays that follow, we're going to be taking photos of people. Um, this is an opportunity not just for, for you to get your picture in the photo directory, but you know those awkward moments when you know you know somebody's name but you can't remember their name and you're too embarrassed to ask, you can go home and you can look in the picture directory, which means we need your picture in it. So. Um, so try to get your picture taken over the next few weeks uh, as we continue to work on that project. Um, with that, I'm going to ask Bill if he'll read scripture for us. Our scripture this morning comes from two places, Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, and Galatians 5, 16 to 24. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And from Galatians, live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There, no, there is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bill. Happy birthday, Paul. Let's pray, okay? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you remember the big old tree with lots of leaves and lots of branches, each representing the different kinds of sins that people commit against one another. And they're all connected to limbs, seven big limbs. We're calling those the seven deadly sins. Remember what they are? 
You got pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. All seven of those limbs held up by one big trunk, idolatry, because all of the seven deadly sins share that in common, people giving themselves over to something other than God. Last week, we talked about the biggest of the limbs. That was the limb of pride. Today, we're going to talk about the second biggest limb. Anybody got a guess what it would be? So, the second biggest limb, the second most dangerous of the seven deadly sins is the sin of envy. Envy because it is the most cruel. It is a sin of envy that was a part of Cain deciding to murder his brother Abel out of jealousy. Envy can be cruel. Now, we say that people can be green with envy because we recognize that that envy can cause people to, to become sick, physically, emotionally, spiritually. One of the things that makes envy so dangerous is that of the seven deadly sins, it's the most secretive, the most secretive. Proverbs tells us that a good heart gives life to the body, but envy eats away at the bones. And envy can be eating away at the bones of somebody we know, and we may not be aware of it because it is so secretive. It might be eating away at our bones because we may not be aware of just how destructive some of the things we think about really are. So what is this envy that we're talking about here? It has to do with not being satisfied with our lives. And as is the case with all of the seven deadly sins, Envy is a distortion of something that God created to be good. It's a distortion of something God created to be good. Remember, we talk about grace a lot in this church, like provenient grace, how God is wooing us, getting, us our, getting our attention, helping us to know there's something missing in our lives, causing us to be unsatisfied with life. Or convicting grace, we talk about how God makes us aware there's things in our life that need to change in order for us to be fulfilled. And this grace is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's the spirit of God at work in our lives, bringing us closer to God, helping us to make the changes in our life that will increase our joy. But envy distorts that grace. And instead of us being drawn to God, we are drawn to something other than God. Now, to understand envy, I want to give you a little parable that comes from a real experience in my life. This goes way back to when Jerry and I were first married. We purchased five acres of land in a place called Government Prairie, which was 20 miles west of Flagstaff, Arizona. And we loved the land, and we looked forward to being able to live on the land. We ordered a brand new mobile home and parked it on the land. We hooked up the electricity, and then we built a 66-foot long solar greenhouse and a gray water um, recycling. We just built a whole lot of stuff there, and we loved it there. But I worked in Flagstaff. And so most days, I or we would drive into Flagstaff and back. And at some point along the time, we decided to take back roads, to drive about 10 miles on cindered roads before we got to pavement. Along the cindered road, there was this beautiful ranch, and it was beautiful, cut out of an aspen grove, 
with some tall ponderosas around it, a beautiful meadow where horses would graze, a gorgeous barn, and then there was the house, an A-frame log cabin, and it was stunning. And I'd drive past that going to work, and I'd drive past that coming home from work, and every time I saw it, I admired it a little bit more. Then there comes a point where that admiration begins to grow. He started thinking how nice it would be to have something like that. Maybe even start imagining what it would be like to have something like that. So I drive by this house, this ranch, and I think about it a little bit. And 10 minutes later, I would arrive at our mobile home. And you can begin to imagine what starts to happen as you start to lose interest in what you have because you're becoming interested in what you don't have. And that's the sin of envy. It changes things. The land that we owned didn't change. The buildings we had didn't change. I was changing, becoming less interested in what I had. So of course, we got rid of that place, right? Because that's what happens. Envy shows itself in lots of ways. That's a parable just to keep in mind as we think about it now. But it shows itself in lots of ways. One of the ways that envy shows itself is with us comparing ourselves to other people. So now I want to talk to the women here. I want to ask you, have you ever compared yourself to another woman? You don't have to show hands, okay? When we compare ourselves to other people, you know, thinking... Ah, I'd like to have her nose or that hair or that figure. When we compare ourselves to other people, it starts eroding away at our self-esteem. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, we will always find a reason why we do not measure up. We will always find a reason why we do not measure up. And that's envy. It's the sin of envy. And it can be subtle, the sin of envy. It can be subtle. I remember once, this goes back to when Jerry and I were serving in Camp Verde, Arizona. We went on a double date with a couple from the church, a nice couple. And we were at a show. And while we were at the show, Jerry was playing around with my hair. That was back when I had hair. <laughs> and, I, and some of you remember, I used to wear it really long. And so she was kind of twirling my hair in her finger, you know? And after the show... The man who was a part of the double date came up to me and he said, now I know why you don't cut your hair. <laughs> and to be clear, he was not envious about my hair. Nobody has ever been envious about my hair. <laughs> he was envious about the attention Jerry was showing me. And he had, he had the strength and the sense to stop it there. But if he wouldn't have, if he would have started paying attention to what he thought other couples might have that he didn't, you know what would happen. It would start impacting his relationship. He'd have a growing sense of dissatisfaction. Pretty soon, he'd be dreaming of A-frame ranches instead of feeling like he was living in a trailer. I mean, that's what envy does to us. Now I'm going to talk to you men. Because men, envy often shows up with men in the desire to be envied. The desire to be 
envied. One of the best things about having a ranch like that one that I described would be knowing that other people admired it. Mark Twain once said that a man will do many things for love, but will do anything for it to be envied. And there is some truth in that. I mean, I got to confess this to you. I got to confess this to you. There's a little truth in that. I mean, I can remember times where I'd be walking with Jerry. Maybe we're walking through a mall. And I would notice another man noticing her. And I'd think to myself, yep. <laughs> She's mine. Loser. how envy works. There's a couple other ways that we experience envy in our lives. One of them is with statements like, I would just like to experience a little of that. You know what I mean? I'd just like to experience a little of that. I'd like to have the experience of, of maybe traveling a little bit, or of having a home like that, or a car like that, or I'd like to have an experience of <laughs> you know, my spouse losing some weight, or doing something with that hair, or I'd like to have the experience of some new furniture and an 80-inch TV and an RV where I could travel and see the national parks. And, and I'd like to have the experience of my spouse getting up from behind that TV and actually doing something. We can have that sense of, I just wish we had, I had this experience. And that's the stuff of envy. Envy also shows itself in criticizing other people. Yeah, she looks great, but who wouldn't if you spent that much time on yourself, right? Or, yeah, he's got a nice looking front yard, but what else does he have to do? Did you know that about 80% of criticism is rooted in the sin of envy? I mean, think about that. About 80% of criticism is rooted in the sin of envy. You ever criticize another person? Might it be rooted in some envy? Frederick Buechner, the great preacher, once said that envy finds joy in somebody else's failures. Being able to point out their faults. Which leads us to, to what envy does to us. Because envy, it pushes people away. And it not only pushes people away, but it pushes God away. It pushes God away because envy is us saying to God that we're not satisfied with what God is doing in our life. That we think we can do better. I want a little more. I want to look a little different. I want a different kind of life. It's us saying to God, we think we can do better. And the result of that is that we push God away. Increasingly, as we pray, it seems as though our prayers go unanswered. As little by little, we start to feel more and more all alone. The deadly sin of envy. Now, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 tells us, reminds us as Christians, that we as Christians, we live by the Spirit. We do not live by the flesh or by the ways of the world. And Paul names in there the ways of the world, including envy. It's one of the ways of the world 
to always be looking for satisfaction somewhere else. But Paul reminds us we don't live that way. We live by the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 13, Paul tells us that live by the Spirit has to do with living a life of love. You know that law of love? And he says there that love is not envious. It is not envious. Living by the Spirit means that rather than criticizing other people, we seek to bless them and to lift them up. Rather than doing things that will push people away, we seek to draw them near. Now, easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. So the antidote for being green with envy is a big dose of gratitude. Just that simple. The antidote for being green with envy is a big dose of gratitude. In Psalm 23, we hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or, you could say it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And that passage of scripture is not trying to point out what we don't have. It's affirming what it is that we do have. Amen. We have God as a shepherd. What more do we need? Amen. We have God who is with us. What more do we need? We are children of God. What more do we need? We've been claimed by God and named by God as God's own. What more do we need? We've been given opportunities to be a blessing in other people's lives and to live a purposeful life. What more do we need? And the more we focus on what it is that we have in God, the more a sense of gratitude wells up within us. Envy makes us green. Gratitude brings us joy. Envy pushes people away. Gratitude draws them near. Envy is like living life like this. And gratitude is like living life like this. So be grateful. When you get up in the morning, give thanks to God that no matter what else the day may bring, at least you don't go it alone. God will be with you. When you lay down in bed at night, give thanks to God that God provided whatever you needed to get you through that day. And as you think about the day to come, give thanks to God that the future belongs to God, that we'll be in God's hands. The more we give thanks to God, the more grateful we are, the more we find reason to be grateful. And the more we find reason to be grateful, the greater our sense of joy the more we find reason to be grateful, the more we are grateful. And little by little, things like an A-frame ranch dim in comparison to what it is that we know God is doing for us in our lives. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.